Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the show. Have you ever dreamed of toppling the status quo in your neck of the global woods? Have you ever thought of maybe uh, starting a food fight in school or, you know, orchestrating a coup in another country? I feel like all of us have had these um, revolutionary or rebellious thoughts at some point, but how far does it go, you know? I've gone pretty far. My name is Ben. We have come a long way. Ben, just the two of us, if we want to look at it on like a micro level, but on a macro level, um, yeah, I think the, the human species has come a long way. We certainly still, oh, I'm Noel, by the way, we certainly still, you know, have uh, room to grow, um, but certainly not quite running up on the kind of insurgency that, let's say, like a reign of terror, like a Robespierre situation during the French Revolution, or maybe more of a uh, uh, Oliver Cromwell kind of situation, like in the uh, the old UK. Yes, yes, it's true. Uh, and by the way, shout out to our own personal Cromwell, uh, super producer Casey Pegram. Ben, he deserves better than that. He does, he does. He's, uh, you know what, you deserve to be Casey Pegram with no comparisons, no equivocations. You okay with that, Casey? I'm great with that. Yeah, because <laughs> as, as it turns out, uh, Cromwell who was kind of like a Protestant Robespierre in many ways, uh-huh. uh, was kind of a monster. Well, his legacy is still a matter of uh, hot takes and controversy here today in 2019. Some people will say he is the father of British democracy. He got rid of the monarchy, albeit briefly. And then others will say, no way, he's a war criminal. He hated the Catholics and he led vicious military campaigns. But Regardless of whether you are pro or anti-Cromwell, there is no denying that he changed the course of history in England, Scotland, and Ireland. Let's let's learn a little bit about his life. What do you say before we get to 
<laughs> before we get to his death. Spoiler, he's dead. He's dead. Dead as a doornail. Dead as disco. I always wonder where dead as a doornail comes from. Isn't it from uh, Dickens? Yeah, but what what made someone say, you know what I think of when I think of death? Doornails. I guess it's just because it's an inanimate object. Yeah, but then you can say dead as a table. But it, the alliteration is key. Oh, uh, uh, dead as a... Uh, hmm. See? Yeah, dead See? as a dumbbell. That works. But doornails were much more prevalent in the days of Dickens. <laughs> Perhaps so. Uh, yeah. Uh, originally, all of the titles that Dickens used in his stories had had the phrase doornail in them. It's also true. Uh, so after uh, fomenting the uh, parliamentarian uprising over the royalists in the English Civil War, um, Cromwell – became the Lord Protector of the Commonwealth of England in 1653. That's also, of course, after executing Charles I, who was the king at the time. Um, And he ruled over England, Scotland, and Ireland uh, just for, in the grand scale of things, time being what it is, blip of time. Right, right, because he assumed— he assumed this status as Lord Protector in 1653. The monarchy itself was restored in 1660. So this is, what, maybe seven years. Why did Cromwell have such a beef with the Catholics, Ben? What a great question, Noel. You see, Oliver Cromwell was born at the turn of the 17th century, and when he came into the world, England was a Protestant country ruled by a king who believed that he had divine rights, meaning he was king because God had purposely made him king. This was kind of a thing with monarchs in those days, like the sun king or, you know, I mean, like a lot of divine belief in that they were like the extension of God's power on earth. It still is. I mean, how how well it's a very effective way to um, – bully people into thinking that they have some sort of obligation to serve you, right? So Cromwell converted uh, to Puritanism in his late 20s, and he thought that King Charles I was just too Catholic. He said, "He's this king is far too Catholic for me. He's a papist, which was a smear word at the time. Uh, many of Charles I's policies, you see, such as levying taxes without the consent of parliament, uh, they made his subjects mistrust him. And they said, hey, you're not the kind of cultured monarch we like. You're one of those tyrannical absolute monarchs. So let's not forget, this is post-Protestant Reformation where the country was very much split. It became largely a Protestant country. And then the kings that would come into power, they would either be heavily Protestant or maybe not quite Protestant enough for some people, but it certainly wasn't as popular in general to be super Catholic. There was kind of like a divide between the Church of Rome and the Church of England. Absolutely. So the stage was set for a civil war. A series of conflicts occur. King Charles is on the losing end of history. He's overthrown. He is executed. Uh, 59 people sign the death warrant for the king, and one of them is Oliver Cromwell. And then they introduce the Commonwealth of England to replace the monarchy. I mean, quote-unquote replace, replace, because Cromwell becomes Lord Protector, as we said. But Lord Protector is pretty much still a king. It's a monarch, you know. Uh, The best evidence for that is that when Cromwell is done being Lord Protector, his son takes up the job. 
Just to jump in here real quick, I was being uh, a little bit purposefully hyperbolic at the beginning of the show when I compared Oliver Cromwell to Robespierre, who was known for uh, decapitating human people in the streets uh, with the famous guillotine. Cromwell was a bit more known for his authoritarian, heavy-handed rule than he was for bloody executions. But we will be getting some bloody executions in this story either way. So – between 1653, 1658 or so, he's ruling the UK. He has the same powers as a monarch, but he's called Lord Protector, and he technically doesn't have a crown. I don't mean this in some uh, figurative sense. I don't mean that he lost any power you would get with metonymy or whatever. I mean that he didn't have the jewelry. And here he's risen to the apex of his life. In the beginning, he was just a member of parliament for Cambridge, uh, but he became a Puritan, and then later he becomes Lord Protector, helped in no small part by his brilliant military career. You know, he was a tactician. He had fought decisive battles. So he wasn't out there, you know, doing mass executions, but war has no small measure of violence. And while he was Lord Protector, he was in a controversial, unsustainable place. Royalists hated him. And the, the Royalists were a faction of people who believed in the divine right of the king. So if you believe that God has decreed a certain person to be the absolute ruler of a land, then you are going to equate the actions of anybody opposing that king to the actions of um, unchristian nearly demonic forces. You know what I mean? So Cromwell was like a demon made flesh to these guys. Totally. And even though Charles I was not popular because he had chosen to marry a French Catholic princess, he was still, to those royalists, the rightful monarch of the realm. So in a sense, he replaces this monarchical regime with a puritanical republic, but he puts in some ideas that seem very forward-facing today and did not go over well at the time, which was he had this concept of being religiously tolerant, and his contemporaries viewed that with suspicion, especially residents of Ireland and Scotland. What, what we're saying here, folks, is that even when he was alive, he was a controversial figure, and Today's story really, really starts when he dies because the last few weeks of his life before he passes away in, what was it, 1658, the 3rd of September, right? That's right. So right before he passes away, he is having a terrible time. He's getting sharp bowel and back pains. He has insomnia. He's freezing cold sometimes and then just sweating hot other times. His throat hurts. He's coughing. He's getting confused. He's vomiting left and right. He would get worse, and then he would get better. So he kind of ebbed and flowed, you know. And his doctors were trying to figure out what was going on with him. They, they had no idea. Uh, one, we have one quote where his attendants have the sad apprehension of danger. Fairly vague. It really is. Is it just a foreboding quality? Yeah, they had the shining about it. They said that he might not get better at this point. Uh, this starts happening when he, is, when he is almost 60. He's 59 years old, and he dies suddenly on September 3rd. Snag a job is where America goes to hire 
with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts about spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right. No, it's it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So he's died, right? Cromwell has died, and his son inherits the position of Lord Protector for a very, very brief amount of time. Very brief. Yes. A year later, his son is overthrown by the army. The monarchy is restored, so chalk one up for the royalist, and Charles II becomes the new king. What does he do after he becomes king? Is it like a bygones be bygones situation? Oh, no. <laughs> that would have been a bummer, a real letdown if that was the case. No, we wanted some blood, Ben. We came here for blood. And boy, will there ever be some blood. No, he uh, declared everyone involved with uh, overthrowing and executing the previous king, enemies of the state, whatever you want to call it, and called for their immediate rounding up and execution. Especially – those 59 people who signed the death warrant. Yeah, because, I mean, you know, their names are on a piece of paper. They, they, their identities are out there. Uh, so it wasn't too, too hard to get to rounding them up. This makes me think of, so off air, before we started this episode, we were talking about a, a strange moment in a lot of people's financial history, checks. Mm -hmm. we, we used to do that too. We would put our names on pieces of paper. Yeah. It's still so bizarre to think about it. Like, you don't even have checks. I don't have checks. I have emergency checks yep. uh, hidden away in my lair. And Casey, you have uh, some checks on the off chance you might ever need one, right? That is correct, yes. 
That's Casey on the case right there. Yeah, <laughs> Casey on the checks. Yep. I would, you know what? I would get some vanity, uh, you know, uh, vanity checks. I did. I had Superman ones. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I had. I had a couple of. Diff- I had space ones. I believe I was, I was very into space. And speaking of fantastic segues, back to the point. Yes, King Charles II wants, uh, wants especially to find and punish these fifty-nine people who have signed the death warrant for Charles I. He catches many. Several are hanged. Some are put in jail for life. Let's backtrack just slightly. He did just call for their trial, but I would imagine this is something along the lines of a kangaroo court situation where it wasn't like they were going to, you know, walk away scot-free. Right, right. And the thing is that, as as we mentioned, not all 59 people on that list were still alive when Charles II came into power. So he had this weird pickle, you know. Do we prosecute the dead? Do we let bygones be bygones? No, he says. No, we do not. And so he orders the bodies of several of the people who have signed these death warrants to be exhumed. So on the 12th anniversary of the death of King Charles I, our buddy Oliver Cromwell, master protector, whatever you call it, master and commander? Lord protector. Yeah, whatever. Uh was dug up, exhumed for the purposes of, uh, you know, making a show out of kind of re-executing him. It reminds me of that. There was a Pope story we did where they dug up a Pope and Ooh. propped him up uh, with his bones and the papal robes. Exactly, exactly. Uh, the cadaver synod, right, after the death of John VIII, Formosus. That's, that's right. So, yeah, so Charles II— has a lot of these people dug up and their bodies are exhumed. And for the less uh, egregious uh, offenders, they're just buried in communal burial pits. So they lose the honor of being buried on their lonesome, right? But Oliver Cromwell, along with three other people, get awarded death sentences, despite the fact that Oliver Cromwell, John Bradshaw, Henry Ireton, and Robert Blake— are all dead. They're dead men given death sentences. So as you said, no, they they chain the guy up. They hang him in chains at Tyburn. And in the afternoon, they they hang him there for like a day. And then as the afternoon winds on, they take him down, they cut off his head, and they put it on a spike. Love a good head on a spike. It's just it's such a statement piece, you know? Yeah, it's real, it's a real power move. Yes, very much so. So they put this head on a 20-foot-tall wooden spike. Question. Is there a difference between a spike and a pike? That is a good question. A spike and a pike. Let's do a little quick internet search here. Uh, Pike is to attack, prod, or injure someone with a pike, while spike is to fix on a spike. Oh, because pike and spike are both verbs as well. So I'm thinking a pike would be part of some sort of turret, like a fence or something like that, and a spike is just more like a, like a, a hole, like a stick in the ground. I don't know. Yeah. A pike can also be a pole, like a long pole that you use in infantry, right? And then there are turnpikes, and turnpike comes from, uh, my car knowledge is coming out here, turnpike comes from uh, the days of private roads when a log would be physically placed across the road, and you had to pay someone to turn the pike or the long pole. 
Interesting. And I think spike is maybe just a little more of a generic term. And also, as we're going down this Google rabbit hole, which may or may not be interesting to you, uh, a uh, spike was also an old English term for an ear of corn. Oh, and corned beef is just salted beef because they would describe the units of salt used as corns. I thought that was peppercorns. Corned beef? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure it's salt. Of course, you can put pepper on it if you want. Well, Ben... Through the magic of editing and time travel of uh-huh. podcasting, you have once again proven me wrong. I'm not, I'm not out trying to. Oh, I'm not getting out anything, to. You're not out to. You just do it continuously because you're better than me. No, no, no. No one's better. We are both, we're both on the quest for the truth. It's and, true. And uh, no one is perfect, but, you know, one huge statement in favor of our character, our collective character, is that we've never dug someone up, knocked off their head, and hung it on... <laughs> On a spike or pike. How long did they leave it up there, Noel? Way longer than <laughs> seemed humane. Not, like, not that any of this is particularly humane in the first place, but this one stuck around as a tourist trap for, <laughs> right, like, right. D- decades. Yeah, yeah. And people would pass the head around. This thing was around for 25 years on that, on that spike. Eventually, it's taken down. And for the next 200 years— Many different people take possession of this head. When I first read Got Passed Around, I pictured people passing it around in a circle like a hot potato hot game potato or something style. like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. It, was much, it was a much larger scale version of hot potato like that yeah. where it kind of changed hands a lot. Um, I believe for a time it was in the possession of a failed actor uh, who was also a kind of the, the town drunk um, and was rumored to have been a relative of Cromwell himself. This man's name was Samuel Russell. This comes from a fantastic AV Club article about the subject that you can look up. And Russell was not a particularly good steward of this uh, artifact, let's call it, yeah? Right. You can see some of the blow-by-blow, or should we say pass-by-pass of this, uh, in article on Atlas Obscura, The Morbid Journey of Cromwell's Traveling Head. As, as you were saying, Noel, the guy who possessed the head, Samuel Russell, not the best guy. He was poor. He was considerably in debt. He had a serious drinking problem. He would literally pass the head around at parties. Okay. <laughs> Sam, bring out the head. Yeah. And uh, he refused to part with the head. People would offer him money for it. Uh, but instead of that, he would just borrow money from people. And multiple folks, for one reason or another, said, we've got to get this head away from this drunk guy. So they continued offering him money. Eventually, a prominent goldsmith and clockmaker named James Cox enters the story. Yeah, he was a smart fellow because he was playing the long game because he kept trying to buy the head off of him, off of uh, Russell, knowing that even though he was turned down um, in exchange for loans— he was eventually going to come to the point where Russell could not pay him back the loans, and then he would have the upper hand to say, hey, I'll absolve your debt, uh, you poor unfortunate bastard, if you just give me the head. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, give me the head, he, he said. He was able to flip it for like three times what he had invested. Was it twice, I think? It was quite a nice profit. Yeah, yeah. He sold Cox, that is, sold the head in 1799 for 230 British pounds, to three brothers with the last name of Hughes. They wanted to start their own public display, so they got the head as part of other Cromwell-related items. They made a bunch of posters for the event, but then they found themselves in a bit of a pickle 
because they wondered whether the head was actually the head of Cromwell. And when they wrote to Cox to ask for, I guess, chain of custody, you know what I mean? Uh, Cox was kind of evasive. And so they thought, is this guy selling us a counterfeit head? I mean, we've all been there, right? Casey, Casey was just telling me about something like this the other day. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm not at liberty to uh, discuss that matter. It's an ongoing situation. <sighs> Investigation. And, uh, you know, uh, you recuse yourself. Yeah, I got to recuse myself. You've okay. been you've been advised by your legal team. <laughs> okay, this has not been Casey on the case. No, this this is yeah, this is officially well. Not. The the case is pending. So. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a different sound. Casey effect. is a man of many side hustles. Let's put it that way. That's true. That's true. I mean, we live in the gig economy. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring, with access to over six million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Hey, Noel. Have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. So what happens to Cromwell's head? Well, here's the thing. There's a lot of uh, conflicting tales as to what happened. There's some uh, versions of the story that say the head itself was given a proper burial uh, by loyalists to Cromwell, or at least those that sympathized with his uh, cause. Uh, there's another version that says the head kind of disappeared. Right. 
Uh, it's commonly accepted that the head was given a dignified burial in a secret place, secret location, Sydney Sussex College in Cambridge in 1960. But the story is too good to let uh, the, the facts distract from the possibilities, right? Because as you said, there are people who are, argue multiple other things about it. One of the craziest uh, the craziest stories I heard was that it was secretly taken by a fraternal society. I have a question too, Ben. In this time where there wasn't any, obviously, any DNA or any lab science at all, how could you confirm the the veracity of a rotted, shrunken head leathered up like beef jerky? When you know, you know. You know? You just feel it in your heart? Yeah, you just feel it in your heart. Okay. Have you ever been in that situation? I guess not. Well, we are about to have an amazing weekend. I'm excited. <laughs> so what an ignoble end. This is not what the Lord Protector uh, thought was in store for him. He was separated from his grave first, then he was separated from his body, and hopefully, finally, Cromwell, divisive character that he is, has come to some sort of rest. According to the head's latest owner, one Horace Wilkinson, he's the one who talked about the secret burial in 1960, uh, the head is still there today, and he announced that he had buried it in this location in 1962. Yeah, secret burial, my rear end. Yeah, right. What about the rest of his body, though, Ben? What, what, what of that? No one knows. Not, not for sure. There are some good ideas out there. Yeah, it's true. Uh, no one is entirely sure about what happened, but the most likely story, according to John Morris, who is a Cromwell biographer, is the same thing that would have happened to the bodies of a lot of folks who were executed um, en masse like this, and that they were just thrown into a pit. Head on a pike, body in a pit. Tale as old as time. Song as old as rhyme. Yeah. That too. Uh, some other uh, versions of the story um, include the idea that it was chucked into the Thames. Mm-hmm. And then there's a bonker story that comes from a man by the name of Samuel Pepys in 1664. Pepys? Pepys? Okay. Pepys? P-E-P-Y-S? I just thought it was fun to say. I, I will say it again. Pepys? Uh, what did he say, Ben? This is, I love this story. I want to hear, hear it from, from the mouth of Ben. Very well. Samuel Pepys in 1664, claimed that Cromwell had swapped bodies of various dead kings from one grave to another, with another story raising the possibility that it wasn't his corpse that was decapitated after all, but that of Charles I. But Charles I already lost his head the first time around. Ah, man, I want to believe this version of the story. let's, Let's not let the facts get in the way of a good story. We never do. This is a situation wherein the fact is stranger than the fiction. It's a bit morbid, but we hope that you found the story of Cromwell's posthumous execution as strange as we found it. Stay tuned for our upcoming episode where we get even more morbid and grisly. Morbider? Morbider. Yeah, oh, it's bad. It's peak morbidity. We're going to have to do a trigger warning on that one. It's probably the <laughs> uh, the grossest, ridiculous history we have ever done. So far. So far. Let's just say this. It involves very crude surgery du- during a very, uh, a very specific period. Which one was it again, Ben? It was the uh, disco era. Yes, a.k.a. the late 1700s, right? <laughs> Early 1800s. Yeah. yeah, the first disco era. That's right. It was the a- crossover. A lot of people think of the disco era as like the 1970s, but that is actually the fifth disco era. Mm-hmm. 
These are facts. Thanks so much to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Always. And thanks to our research associate, Gabe Lucier, uh, for a job well done, as per usual. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis, who's just, we like him. He's a pal. We're going to have him back very soon. Um, thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. And thanks to you, Noel. Thanks to, thanks to everyone who took decent care of Oliver Cromwell's head. Yep. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024.